Good morning. Is it too soon to say Happy New Year? Happy New Year. A new year offers both hope and dread. Hope as we pray, review, recalibrate, upgrade, but dread because of the uncontrollable uncertainty and our own unclear expectations. What should we expect or even desire? What should we change? Does the Bible offer us any help to face the future? Thank you for joining us this morning for worship. Come with me as we review the journey of Abraham in Genesis 22. Let us pray. Great God, we thank you so much that you love us. And we thank you for bringing us through another year to this, the cusp of a new year. We sit now and await your word. Speak clearly to all our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They walk together in silence. Abraham, Isaac, two servants and a donkey. One step after the other, they journey to Mount Moriah. Today, they journey to offer a burnt offering. Only this time, the sacrifice is Isaac. We silently shout, child sacrifice? Child abuse, fanaticism, tyranny. But Abraham shows no outward signs of flinching. The voice came last night. Abraham, leklaka, go forth into. Take now your son. Mentally, Abraham says, I have two sons. Your only son, but I have two, whom you love. I love them both. Isaac, oh yes. Take Isaac and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. It was like a kick in the old man's gut. He looked at the stars and recalled God's promise of many descendants. Isaac is his special son of promise after 25 years of prayers and problems. Why would God ask him to do such a thing? 
but Abraham remembers the voice from God's radical call like it was yesterday. Forty-five years ago, in Genesis 12, Lech Lecha, go forth out to a land I will show you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In that universal promise to Abraham, God responds to the driving desires of people then and now for the achievements that give them name and reputation. In contemporary terms, in contemporary terms, God responds to the quest for human flourishing. Abraham's obedience to God's call then in Genesis 12 propelled a journey that the childless unknown nomad Abraham could never have imagined. Now in Genesis 22, Abraham, the rich, honored, respected prince and father of two who God says, sorry, journeys to Moriah to sacrifice the son who God says is the only means of fulfilling the promise of Genesis 12. Abraham does not yet understand this journey, but he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is the word of the same God who has journeyed with him since Genesis 12. Lech Lecha, found only at two places in Genesis and in Scripture, Book ends Genesis 12, 1 and Genesis 22, 1 and alerts uh, him and us to the fact that this journey is the climax. Step after step they go. Abraham reflects on his journey even as he tries to process God's seemingly senseless summon to Moriah. He tries to make sense of this phase of his journey in much the same way that you and I would, by looking backward to try to understand forward. Not lingering, not stuck in the past, looking back just long enough to see how best to push forward. Like glancing in a rearview mirror, only this is safer. We walk with Abraham through his story as well as our own. When Abraham steps out in Genesis 12, how well does he know God? Does he really understand? How will he become a great nation or get a great name if his wife Sarai is barren? They suffer from the cultural shame and social death of childlessness. Is he scared because God appears angry, scattering people and confusing language at the Tower of Babel? Is he in awe of the powerful God who can flood the whole earth? Or is it for other reasons that he takes his nephew Lot and leaves his extended family? A very unusual move in the ancient Near East. 
Is it easier to obey a God who promises many blessings? He goes, though he does not understand the purpose of the promise nor the plan of the journey. Perhaps this is why he spends the next 25 years fixated on his own felt need to father a child, find an heir, and face his shame. And God's promise? In his mind, God's five-part promise becomes the one most important thing that's urgent to Abraham, a child. Over and over as he walks now, he asks himself, what is the purpose of the journey of life? What is the purpose of the journey of life? Is it to accumulate gold, livestock, and herds? To get married, have children, and watch them grow up? He remembers ignoring God's word and taking Lot with him, complaining to God that he has no heir, and solving that himself with a child by Sarah's maid Hagar. He remembers his prayer, oh, that Ishmael may live, exposing his satisfaction with his own efforts and his impatience with God's. Now, as he walks to Moriah, he realizes the problems he created with both Lot and Ishmael. Looking fondly at Isaac walking beside him, Abraham recalls Isaac's birth. Sarah was 99 and he was 100 years old. As good as dead, Hebrew says. In the 25 years before Isaac is born in Genesis 21, he learns more about himself, more about God, and about God's call. And oh, how much he had to unlearn. Thankfully, God would show up every single time and recalibrate him to the promise. Those were 25 years of progress. Often slow, irregular, appearing delayed, or even dormant. Abraham recalls an unforgettable lesson looking at and laughing with Isaac. He recalls that he learned that the calling of God is not of human intellect or work. God's make his selection apart from the tragic and ridiculous human attempts to upstage the divine plan. Here he is with 20-year-old Isaac on their way to Moriah. Does he understand better now? He thinks he's slowly getting it. God has a divine plan for him. God's covenants in Genesis 12 and 15 guarantee immediate divine blessings and promises future blessings. Still, 
He does not see the immediate and lo- that the immediate and long-term blessings are part of one grand ongoing divine plan that God first gives in Genesis 3:15. That plan is for him and for a whole long line of believers. There, as well as here, God gives his guarantee that he will save the world using a representative child. Step after step, we journey with Abraham to Moriah. Minutes turn to hours, hours to days. Like the rolling countryside, Underneath their feet, Abraham's thoughts flow up and vigorously down like a roller coaster. This is what Father Abraham sees in rare view, and we see it too. Along his journey, he's often most fearful and less faithful. In famine, he leaves to save his stomach. Later lies that Sarah is his sister to save his skin, then lays with Hagar in Hurrian tradition to save his seed. He laughs to save his shock that Sarah is as important to the promise as he is and legislates to save Sodom and Lot. He did not trust God. Not God's plan, not God's power. Focused only on the part of the promise that he thought was important to him, he manipulates. He is short-sighted and impatient. Over and over, we see the father of faith making moves just like we would when working things out to protect, defend, or hide ourselves. We see the knight of faith, as Kierkegaard calls him, strategizing to force God for his own flourishing. Still, the steps of the 120-year-old Abraham become firmer and more determined as he replays his journey. He reasons that despite his failures, God was with him. God extends grace to him over and over. God is not a vindictive tyrant. God has been his help at every failure, at every fear. God is trustworthy. And wants him to use faith to seek understanding. God's grace and forgiveness encourage Abraham now. And restrain the visceral turmoil within as he walks. Moriah. I don't understand. But I will go. All that Isaac and the servants see are the determined steps of an old man going to worship his God. After two days of mental and physical highs and lows, 
With Abraham, we view Moriah a short distance away. In that pivotal moment when Abraham tells the servants, the boy and I will go yonder to worship and we will return to you. Is Abraham lying again? When Isaac, with wood on shoulder, asks, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Does Abraham know something that we don't know? Or is he lying again? It is a rough but intimate journey to the top of the mountain for Abraham and Isaac. The climb transforms us. At the summit, we take a deep breath. Noise and distractions are out of range. Abraham, man of action, sets out to do exactly what God asks. He builds the altar, lays the wood, puts the sacrifice, Isaac, on the wood, and takes the knife. The narrator never shares what Abraham is thinking. But what are your thoughts? You think you know how the story ends, don't you? God will save the day and we'll all go home soon. Not quite. The story is not that simple. With Abraham, we study the scene from Moriah and reflects on God's call to us. Abraham, Abraham, a voice interrupts. We hear his name repeated and understand that this call is intimate. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Stop. Don't do anything. It's the voice of God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. Like a judge hitting the gavel, God announces that Abraham's great outward obedience demonstrates great inner faith. Justified, acquitted. The doer feels somewhat cheated. And suddenly, the world is a different place. The outlook is clearer. Like Ultra HD, God's promise, God's plan, God's presence, God's power, clearer. It's as if God draws nearer. With Abraham, we see the ram. A substitute? Abraham sacrifices the ram and calls the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. On Moriah, Abraham believes. His experience and reason lead him to believe that nothing has been more important to his entire life journey than to have faith in the word of God. 
it helps when, God's rep- when God repeats the promise to Abraham in the divine oath. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. As Abraham and Isaac descend Moriah, Abraham knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that God truly provides. A resurrection miracle never seen before. We see the impossible and we believe. Abraham obeys, but Isaac is still alive. We believe that seeing is believing. Oh, that with Abraham we might see and believe that believing is seeing. From the top of the mountain, the outlook is clear. God will provide. Abraham's journey shows us that he is more like us than we may realize. How might his journey change ours as we face the future. Genesis 22 exposes God's gracious direction in the journey of Abraham. It shows God powerfully at work in very obvious ways. Abraham was not a great man of faith all his life. But God did not reject him, but gave him opportunities to grow him. The test with Isaac was to help Abraham to develop and demonstrate the kind of faith that he needs to face the future. It is also the kind of faith that you and I need to face the future. Genesis 22 drives us to desire to develop mature faith in the God of the promise. Abraham shows us how complex it is to believe. He learns great faith after a journey of struggle, inconsistent faith, doubt, and learning to know God. So will we. But at every stage of the journey, God was with Abraham. God will be with us. Weaving his grace into the tapestry of our lives to feed our faith, to fortify us to face the future. With Abraham, we learn that God is faithful and we can be certain that he will keep his word. Abraham's journey shows us repeated reminders that faith is very serious in our journey. But God God has wonderful plans for our journey, but we will never be able to access those plans and flourish in the journey without faith in God and his word. But what is faith in God? Faith is so nebulous, just this thing. 
Faith is believing. It's taking God at his word even without evidence or proof. Because we trust him. It is not just mental or intellectual belief. It is belief that drives us to act, to obey. Even when such obedience appears to produce negative results. Because we trust him. Faith, therefore, requires relationship. God announces Abraham's great faith because in going to Moriah, Abraham trusts him and obeys because he reasons, as the writer of Hebrews says, that God is able to resurrect Isaac. It is only as we grow in our relationship of faith in God in big ways, in small ways, that we will experience the joy of God's promised blessings. The greater the faith, the greater the flourishing. Genesis 22 is as much about Isaac's faith as it is about Abraham's. Abraham's decision as to whether to obey God's word stood in tension on the pendulum of the great controversy and the promise. Abraham's faithfulness to God risking the promise must have left an indelible mark on Isaac. No doubt it will be the same for us in our lives with others. We see that Abraham's journey, and yours and mine, has meaning only as part of a larger story. And this is no accident. Genesis 22 climaxes God's original promise in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, the original Hebrew tense changes to the perfect to show that God blesses Abraham for one reason, so that he might be a blessing to the world. That is the grand finale of the promise. What a God! His plan for each of us covers the trajectory of our entire life's journey from beginning to end, but it gives meaning within his grand plan for the whole creation, beginning from the the beginning of time to the end. What a God. What changes Abraham on the mountain more than anything else is the overwhelming realization that God promise to him is God's plan, presence, power, and provision to transform his journey. He must reject all human efforts to secure God's blessing and trust the all-powerful God to do what he says he will do in the present and in the future. I accept, he says, Leklika is my summons to go, to receive the gift of promise by faith. On that day, on that mountain, Abraham sees by faith, though he does not yet fully understand. He sees that both the sun and the ram 
point to the same reality. A burnt offering ritual will never be the same again. In that moment of worship on the mountain, God's oath in Genesis 22:18 that I, he will bless all the world through Abraham reminds Abraham of God's promise to bless all the world through his seed. It is not by accident that the Apostle Paul writes. Paul writes in Galatians 3.16 that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul concludes that you and I are Abraham's seed as well through our relationship with Jesus. Later on in Galatians, he concludes, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. What are your thoughts at this point in time? On the cusp of this new year, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what might we learn from the fact that with Jesus we are Abraham's seed? One possibility is what the desire of ages says, that through his own suffering, Abraham was enabled to behold the Savior's mission of sacrifice. But another possibility, which I think comes closer home, is the fact that Jesus is our substitute. In the New Testament, John calls Jesus the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was brutally sacrificed on a mountain west of Moriah, Golgotha. I heard that he did it for me and you. Do we understand any more than Abraham did what God provides to us through this Lamb, Jesus Christ? Do we understand that Abraham's son and Abraham's ram were shadows pointing to Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Do we understand God's promise? Do we realize that God has a plan? That God is with us? That God is able? And that God will provide just as he did for Abraham? Our journeys are different, but we all have one thing in common. We need the Lamb. 
We are sinners in need of God's grace to help us to understand. We need faith to accept Jesus Christ as our substitute and to live the life to which God calls. We need faith to flourish. Only by faith can we accept can we access the priceless gift of Jesus' painful death so that we can enjoy God's wonderful plans for us. God knows that since Eden, we keep insisting on saving ourselves. As he did for Abraham, God relieves us of the burden. He says, stop, don't do anything. You have nothing to offer to redeem yourself. Not works, not obedience, not even the ram. Obedience without faith does not save you. Faith does not save you. Not even faith in Jesus saves you. What saves you is faith in Jesus as your substitute and savior because you believe what he did for you. Because God's word says so. Hopefully I'll have a voice to take me to the end. God says, you will only be saved by, by my gift, which I say, I see that you believe. I see that you trust me. I see that you have faith in my provision. You are saved when by faith you accept the death of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That is why on the mountain, We worship. We don't work for our salvation. God's promise to Abraham is the climax of three promises in God's plan to reunite humanity with himself and to save the whole world after the fall, the flood, and the founding of Babel. Jesus did it. Jesus reconciles humanity with God through his self-sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice of atonement for you and for me. His death was an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's what we're told in Ephesians 5. As with Abraham on Mount Moriah, God is both the provider and the recipient of the reconciliation. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it was not lunacy, it was love. When we accept God's word as true by faith, that Jesus died to set us free and rose again to give us new life, we are encouraged and strengthened to face the future as we stand on the promise of God. 
That is why Jesus invites us to experience his death and resurrection over and over again. That our faith may may be reborn and rekindled over and over again. We experience God feeding us by faith through the miracle and fortifying us to face the future. He reminds us God's promise is sure. God has a plan. God is with us. God is able. And God will provide for our faith and flourishing. As often as we break the bread and drink the cup at the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves of Jesus' perfect sacrifice and his gift of salvation to us. Jesus, the true substance, supersedes all the shadows and the rams. And my prayer today is that this may drive us to desire and develop mature faith so that we can persevere through the uncertainties and the victories of the new year. Are you prepared? Am I prepared? Are we prepared for the God who promises as well as tests? If not, we will see every negative circumstance as God failing to keep his promise. Relax. The tester is the teacher. The greater is our gracious God. And the recorder is our redeemer. I imagine that for some of us, this is a lot to take in. If like Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12, you feel imprisoned in the barrenness, deadness, dryness, and helplessness of your journey, remember... God actively seeks a way out of all kinds of death for us. He is ready to break the death categories that imprison our lives. The prison of death causes our minds to see through the glass darkly. And we cannot pray in a way that shows a desire to know, to love God, or to trust him. May God transform our minds so that we might see even in dark times that God's promise is sure. Read it with me, please. God has a plan. God is with us. God is able. And God will provide for our faith and flourishing. By the time Abraham leaves chapter 22... Of Genesis. He has a deeper relationship with God and is more confident of God's plan to flourish the trajectory of his life from beginning to end. What chapter are you in?
You and I often reject the roller coaster experiences in our journey. But they are as natural as the stomach moving up and down as we breathe in and out. While we often let our problems take us to the valley, God intends that they take us to the mountain. For in the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. Today we come down the mountains. Moriah and Golgotha. May we share and live in the valley the message from the mountain. And the message is this. We are assured and not afraid as we face 2024. The outlook is clear and promising. We have the assurance that God's promise is sure. God has a plan. God is with us. God is able and God will provide for our faith and flourishing. As joint heirs with Jesus, we can't wait for the future inheritance and full flourishing in the kingdom of God. There, all our hopes and dreams will be fulfilled and all our brokenness will be mended. May this be our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.